Masterpieces of Mystery Ghost Stories Story 6 Sister Madalena by Ralph Adams Cram Part 1 Across the valley of the Oreto for Monreal, on the slopes of the mountains just above the little village of Parco, lies the old convent of St. Caterina. From the cloistered terrace at Monreal, you can see its pale walls and the slim campanile of its chapel rising from the crowded citron and mulberry orchards that flourish, rank and wild, no longer cared for by pious and loving hands. From the rough road that climbs the mountains to Asunto, the convent is invisible, a gnarled and ragged olive grove intervening, and a spur of cliffs as well, while from Palermo one sees only the speck of white flashing in the sun, indistinguishable from the many similar gleams of desert monastery or pauper village. Partly because of this seclusion, partly by reason of its extreme beauty, partly it may be because the present owners are more than charming and gracious in their pressing hospitality, St. Caterina seems to preserve an element of the poetic, almost magical. And as I drove with the Cavalier of Aguanera one evening in March out of Palermo, along the garden valley of the Oreto, then up the mountainside, where the warm light of the spring sunset swept across from Monreal, lying golden and mellow on the luxuriant growth of figs and olives and orange trees and fantastic cacti, and so up to where the path of the convent swung off to the right round a dizzy point of cliff that reached out gaunt and grey from the olives below. As I drove thus in the balmy air, and saw of a sudden a vision of creamy walls and orange roof, draped in fantastic festoons of roses, with a single curving palm tree stuck black and feathery against the gold sunset. It is hardly to be wondered at that I should slip into a mood of visionary enjoyment, looking for a time on the whole thing as the misty phantasm of a sudden dream. The cavalier had introduced himself to us, Tom Rendell and me, one morning, soon after we reached Palermo, when in the first bewilderment of architects in this paradise of art and colour, we were working nobly at our sketches in that dream of delight, the Capella Palatina. He was himself an amateur archaeologist, he told us, and passionately devoted to his island, so he felt impelled to speak to anyone whom he saw appreciating the almost, and in a way fortunately, unknown beauties of Palermo. In a little time we were fully acquainted and talking like the oldest friends. Of course he knew acquaintances of Rendell's. Someone always does. This time there were officers on the tubby USS Kinneberg that, during the summer of 1888, was trying to uphold the maritime honour of the United States in European waters. Luckily for us, one of the officers was a kind of cousin of Rendell's, and came from Baltimore as well, so as he had visited at the Cavalier's place, we were soon invited to do the same. It was in this way that, with the luck that attends Rendell wherever he goes, we came to see something of domestic life in Italy, and that I found myself involved in another of those adventures for which I naturally sought so little. I wonder if there is any other place in Sicily so faultless as St. Caterina. Taormina is a paradise, an epitome of all that is beautiful in Italy, Venice excepted. Gigenti is a solemn epic, with its golden temples between the sea and hills. Cephalu is wild and strange, and Monreal a vision out of a fairy tale. 
but St. Katerina. Fancy a convent of creamy stone and rose-red brick, perched on a ledge of rock midway between earth and heaven, the cliff falling almost sheer to the valley, two hundred feet and more, the mountain rising behind straight toward the sky, all the rocks covered with cactus and dwarf fig trees, the convent draped in smothering roses, and in front a terrace with a fountain in the midst, and then nothing between you and the sapphire sea six miles away. Below stretches the Eden Valley of the Concadoro, gold-green fig orchards, alternating with smoke-blue olives, the mountains rising on either hand and sinking undulously away toward the bay, where, like a magic city of ivory and nacre, Palermo lies guarded by the twin mountains, Monte Pellegrino and Capo Zeferano. Arid rocks like dull amethysts, rose in sunlight, violet in shadow, lions couchant, guarding the sleeping town. Soon as we saw it for the first time that hot evening in March, with the golden lambent light pouring down through the valley, making it verity a shell of gold, sitting in Indian chairs on the terrace, with the perfume of roses and jasmines all around us, the valley of the Oreto, Palermo, St. Caterina, Monreal, all were but parts of a dreamy vision, like the heavenly city of Sir Percival, to attain which he passed across the golden bridge that burned after him as he vanished in the intolerable light of the beatific vision. It was all so unreal, so phantasmal, that I was not surprised in the least when late in the evening after the ladies had gone to their rooms and the cavalier Tom and I were stretched out in chairs on the terrace, smoking lazily under the multitudinous stars, the cavalier said, there is something I really must tell you both before you go to bed, so that you may be spared any unnecessary alarm. You're going to say that the place is haunted, said Wendell, feeling vaguely on the floor beside him for his glass of Amaro. Thank you. It is all it needs. The cavalier smiled a little. Yes, that is just it. St. Catarina is really haunted, and much as my reason revolts against the idea of superstitious and savouring all priestcraft, yet I must acknowledge I see no way of avoiding the admission. I do not presume to offer any explanations. I only state the fact, and the fact is that tonight one or other of you will, in all human or unhuman probability, receive a visit from Sister Madalena. You need not be in the least afraid. The apparition is perfectly gentle and harmless, and moreover, having seen it once, you will never see it again. No one sees the ghost, or whatever it is, but once, and that usually the first night he spends in the house. I myself saw the thing eight, nine years ago when I first bought the place from my Marchese di Mujaro. All my people have seen it, nearly all of my guests, so I think you may as well be prepared. Then tell us what to expect, I said. What kind of a ghost is this nocturnal visitor? It is simple enough. Some time tonight you will suddenly awake and see before you a Carmelite nun who will look fixedly at you, say distinctly and very sadly, I cannot sleep, and then vanish. That is all, eh? It is hardly worth speaking of. Only some people are terribly frightened if they are visited unwarned by strange apparitions. So I tell you this, that you may be prepared. This was a Carmelite convent then, I said. Yes, it was suppressed after the unification of Italy and given to the house of Mujaro. But the family died out and I bought it. There is a story about the ghostly nun who was only a novice, and even that unwillingly, which gives an interest to an otherwise very commonplace and uninteresting ghost. I beg that you will tell it us, cried Wendell. 
There is a storm coming, I added. See, the lightning is flashing already up among the mountains at the head of the valley. If the story is tragic, as it must be, now is just the time for it. You will tell it, will you not? The cavalier smiled that slow, cryptic smile of his that was so unfathomable. I cannot sleep, said the nun. I found that I drink too much coffee. I need energy. I need something to keep me going. I need to concentrate when I'm working. Coffee, sometimes tea, if I'm being well behaved, will do that for me. But I know it's not good for my health. So I need a solution. I found that solution in Magic Mind Energy Drink. Other energy drinks give me palpitations are worse somehow than coffee or tea. Taurine, I think, is the ingredient that does that. I need something healthy, helps me to sleep, something that makes me feel less stressed and anxious, something that enables me to stay creative, helps me to remember things, helps me to be productive, and ultimately helps me to sleep better. Magic Mind Energy Drink. Visit the Magic Mind website and get the limited 56% off first subscription and 20% off a one-time purchase with your unique discount code. Take advantage of the offer I'm about to make you. Try Magic Mind Energy Drink with discount code EDMAKES20 and with the link www.magicmind.com slash EDMAKES. As you say, there is a shower coming. And as we have fierce tempests here, we might not sleep. So perhaps we may as well sit up a little longer, and I will tell you the story. The air is utterly still, hot and oppressive. The rich, sick odour of the oranges just bursting into bloom came up from the valley in a gently rising tide. The sky, thick with stars, seemed mirrored in the rich foliage below. So numerous were the glowworms under the still trees and the fireflies that gleamed in the hot air. Lightning flashed fitfully from the darkening west, but as yet no thunder broke the heavy silence. The cavalier lighted another cigar and pulled a cushion under his head so that he could look down to the distant lights of the city. This is the story, he said. Once upon a time, late in the last century, the Duca di Castiglione was attached to the court of Charles III, king of the two Sicilies down at Palermo. They tell me he was very ambitious, and, not content with marrying his son to one of the ladies of the House of Tuscany, had betrothed his only daughter, Rosalia, to Prince Antonio, a cousin of the king. His whole life was wrapped up in the fame of his family, and he quite forgot all domestic affection in his madness for dynastic glory. His son was a worthy scion, cold and proud, but Rosalia was, according to legend, utterly the reverse, a passionate, beautiful girl, willful and headstrong, and careless of her family and the world. The time had nearly come for her to marry Prince Antonio, a typical roué of the Spanish court, when, through the treachery of a servant, the duke discovered that his daughter was in love with a young military officer, whose name I don't remember, and that an elopement had been planned to take place the next night. The fury and dismay of the old autocrat past belief. He saw in a flash the downfall of all his hopes of family aggrandizement through union with the royal house. 
and knowing well the spirit of his daughter, despaired of ever bringing her to subjection. Nevertheless, he attacked her unmercifully, and by bullying and threats, by imprisonment and even bodily chastisement, he tried to break her spirit and bend her to his indomitable will. Through his power at court, he had the lover sent away to a mainland, and for more than a year he held his daughter closely imprisoned in his palace on the Toledo, that one you may remember, on the right, just beyond the Via del Collegio, on the right, just beyond the Via del Collegio di Gesuiti, with the beautiful ironwork grills at all the windows and the painted frieze. But nothing could move her, nothing bend her stubborn will, and at last, furious at the girl, he could not govern Castigli only sent her to this convent, then one of the few houses of barefoot Carmelite nuns in Italy. He stipulated that she should take the name of Madalena, that he should never hear of her again, and that she should be held an absolute prisoner in this conventual castle. Rosalia, or Sister Madalena, she was now, believed her lover dead, for her father had given her good proofs of this, and she believed him. Nevertheless, she refused to marry another and seized upon the convent life as a blessed relief from the tyranny of a maniacal father. She lived here for four or five years. Her name was forgotten at court and in her father's palace. Rosalia di Castiglione was dead, and only Sister Madalena lived, a Carmelite nun in her place. In 1798, Ferdinand IV found himself driven from his throne on the mainland, his kingdom divided and he himself forced to flee to Sicily. With him came the lover of the dead Rosalia, now high in military honour. He on his part had thought Rosalia dead, and it was only by accident that he found that she still lived, a Carmelite nun. Then began the second act of the romance, that until then had been only sadly commonplace, but now became dark and tragic. Michel, Michel Biscari, that was his name, I remember now, haunted the region of the convent, striving to communicate with Sister Madalena, and at last from the cliffs over us, up there among the citrons, you will see by the next flash of lightning, he saw her in the great cloister, recognized her in her white habit, found her the same dark and splendid beauty of six years before, only made more beautiful by her white habit and her rigid life. By and by he found a day when she was alone, and tossed a ring to her as she stood in the midst of the cloister. She looked up, saw him, and from that moment lived only to love him in life, as she has loved his memory in the death she had thought had overtaken him. With the utmost craft they arranged the plans together. They could not speak, for a word would have aroused the other inmates of the convent. They could make signs only when Sister Madalena was alone. Michel could throw notes to her from the cliff, a feat demanding a strong arm, as you will see. If you measure the distance with your eye, and she could drop replies from the window over the cliff, which he picked up at the bottom. Finally, he succeeded in casting into the cloister a coil of light rope. The girl fastened it to the bars of one of the windows, and, so great is the madness of love, Biscari actually climbed the rope from the valley to the window of the cell, a distance of almost two hundred feet, with but three little craggy resting places in all that height. For nearly a month these nocturnal visits were undiscovered, and Michel had almost completed his arrangements for carrying the girl from St. Caterina and away to Spain, when unfortunately one of the sisters, suspecting some mystery from the changed face of Sister Madalena, began investigating, and at length discovered the rope neatly coiled up at the nun's window, 
and hidden under some clinging vines. She instantly told the mother superior, and together they watched from a window in the crypt of the chapel, the only place, as you will see tomorrow, from which one could see the window of Sister Madalena's cell. They saw the figure of Michel daringly ascending the slim rope, watched hour after hour, the sister remaining, while the superior went to say the hours in the chapel, at each of which Sister Madalena was present, and at last, at prime, just as the sun was rising, they saw the figure slip down the rope, watched the rope drawn up and concealed, and knew that Sister Madalena was in their hands for vengeance and punishment, a criminal. The next day, by the order of the Mother Superior, Sister Madalena was imprisoned in one of the cells under the chapel, charged with her guilt and commanded to make full and complete confession. But not a word would she say, although they offered her forgiveness if she would tell the name of her lover. At last the Superior told her that after this fashion would they act the coming night. She herself would be placed in the crypt, tied in front of the window, her mouth gagged, that the rope would be lowered, and the lover allowed to approach even to the sill of her window, and at that moment the rope would be cut, and before her eyes her lover would be dashed to death on the ragged cliffs. The plan was feasible, and Sister Madalena knew that the mother was perfectly capable of carrying it out. Her stubborn spirit was broken, and in the only way possible she begged for mercy, for the sparing of her lover. The mother superior was deaf at first. At last she said, It is your life or his. I will spare him on condition that you sacrifice your own life. Sister Madalena accepted the terms joyfully, wrote a last farewell to Michel, fastened the note to the rope, and with her own hands cut the rope, and saw it fall, coiling down to the valley bed far below. Then she silently prepared for death, and at midnight, while her lover was wandering, mad with the horror of impotent fear, around the white walls of the convent, Sister Madalena, for love of Michel, gave up her life. How was never known that she was indeed dead was only a suspicion, for when Biscari finally compelled the civil authorities to enter the convent, claiming that murder had been done there, they found no sign. Sister Madalena had been sent to the parent house of the barefoot Carmelites at Avila in Spain, so the superior stated, because of her incorrigible continency. The old Duke of Castiglione refused to stir hand or foot in the matter, and Michel, after fruitless attempts to prove that the superior of St. Caterina had caused the death, was forced to leave Sicily. He sought in Spain for very long, but no sign of the girl was to be found, and at last he died, exhausted with suffering and sorrow. Even the name of Sister Madalena was forgotten, and it was not until the convents were suppressed, and this house came into the hands of the Mujaros, that her story was remembered. It was then that the ghost began to appear, and an explanation being necessary, the story, or legend, was obtained from one of the nuns who still lived after the suppression. I think the fact, for it is a fact of the ghost, rather goes to prove that Michelle was right, and that poor Rosalia gave her life a sacrifice for love. Whether in accordance with the terms of the legend or not, I cannot say. One of the other of you will probably see her tonight. You might ask her for the facts. For that is all the story of Sister Madalena, known in the world as Rosalia di Castiglione. Did you like it? It is admirable, said Wendell enthusiastically. But I fancy I should rather look on it simply as a story, and not as a warning of what is going to happen. I don't much fancy real ghosts myself. But the poor sister is quite harmless. And Valguanera rose, stretching himself. 
My servants say she wants a mass said over her, or something of that kind, but I haven't much love for such priestly hocus-pocus. I beg your pardon, turning to me. I'd forgotten that you are a Catholic. Forgive my rudeness. My dear Cavalier, I beg you not to apologize. I am sorry you cannot see things as I do, but don't for a moment think I am hypersensitive. I have an excuse, perhaps you will say only an explanation, but I live where I see all the absurdities and corruptions of the Church. Perhaps you let the accidents blind you to the essentials, but do not let us quarrel tonight. See, the storm is close on us. Shall we go in? To be concluded.